We'll turn your Bibles, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 4. I, uh, I really don't have a message tonight, per se, but uh, there are some things that uh, are rolling around in my heart, some things that happened to me this last week relative to the Spirit of God and the Word, the quickening power of the Word, that, um, well, we want to share some of it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. F.F. Bosworth, in uh, his great classic book, Christ the Healer, in my opinion, the best thing that's ever written, the most comprehensive thing that's ever written on the subject of healing, says that these are the most complete and concise directions for taking hold of healing that's in the Bible. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Notice the word find. They're life unto those that find them. Folks, there's a discovery process where the word of God is concerned. There's a discovery process where the things of God are concerned. And you're not going to find them unless you look. You know, the Bible says in um, a couple of places where it talks about Jesus teaching in parables. One time in Mark chapter 4, he was explaining why he taught in parables, explaining to his disciples why he taught in parables so much. And he said that it might be fulfilled, which was written, seeing they see not and hearing they are not converted. In other words, Jesus didn't lay everything out for everybody to take hold of like easy pickings. God wants us to search. God wants us to search out his word. He wants us to dig. Brother Hagin used to use the example uh, when he was talking about things along this line. He said, you know, when in the old days, in the 1800s, when the gold rush was on, he said there were times where people could just find a nugget of gold laying on the ground somewhere. But if you wanted to get to the real good stuff, you got to dig. Well, the word's like that. There's a discovery process. And, and it seems to me that most Christians don't realize that. It seems to me that either most Christians, if they did know it to begin with, they've abandoned the search. Or maybe they never even try, started or tried to search because they didn't know. Look with me to Psalm 91. David talked about some of these things. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Notice that. He talks about the secret place of the Most High. Why is it a secret? Because nobody, not many people find it. But David's talking about a place with God. Not a special relationship with God like God's playing favorites. He picks one and he leaves another out. But a secret place that's available for anybody and everybody that will search. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. That secret place must have something to do with your confession. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him would I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. That means the hunter's trap and from the noisome pestilence talking about plagues and disease. 
He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Shield and buckler have to do with defensive maneuvers. The word buckler really means to surround somebody with defenses. Now this word wings is the same word that's used over in Malachi. Where it says, to those of you that fear the Lord, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. With healing in his wings. It's talking about the same thing here apparently. David goes on to say in verse 5, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flies by day. If you're not afraid of anything from the night and you're not afraid of anything in the day, it sounds like you're doing pretty good. Nor from the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. David's talking about a place of defensive protection. That secret place of the most high. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. That's talking about you dwelling with him. Not just him dwelling with you, but you pursuing him. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. I believe David's talking about um, some of the experiences we know concerning him when he was a shepherd. Remember how he killed the bear and killed the lion that came against the flock that he was in charge of. But this also has a spiritual application where it's talking about the devil being referred to as a serpent or a dragon. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. That sounds like a pretty cool place to be. Now the Holy Spirit inspired David to write this. David's revealing the truth of what we can have with God. Now, you know, the book of Proverbs is full of things uh, regarding wisdom, instructions regarding wisdom. It says, seek wisdom while it can be found. It says, search for as a hidden treasure. And it shows us some of the benefits. It says, the length of days and long life is in one hand and wealth and honor and riches in the other. But why would the Bible have to tell us to search for or to seek after wisdom? I mean, shouldn't we just be able to obtain wisdom by reading the Bible? Well, yes and no. Yes, that's where wisdom is found. But not everybody reads with the same attention, with the same degree of attentiveness. Not everybody reads the Word with the purpose of attending to it or putting it first place in their lives. There is a quickening power to the word of God that's hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. Jesus said, well, turn with me over to John chapter 6. I want to point out some things that Jesus said regarding this. We're going to pick up in midstream here. Jesus is talking about some things that the crowd doesn't understand. He's talking about his body and his blood being the Passover that was sacrificed for us.
But the way he delivers it to them, the way he gives this information out to the crowd um, becomes offensive to many of them. Verse 53, then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Well, we know what that's talking about. We know that it's talking about his sacrifice. But the Jews, the, the crowd that he's speaking to, they're taking this literally. They're thinking he's talking about cannibalism. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me shall he live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Notice the effect of this, verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus himself knew that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now Jesus is telling them there's a spiritual meaning here, there's a spiritual application. He's warning them without coming right out and saying it. Don't get so in your heads that you miss the truth of what I'm trying to get across. But most of them did. He said, but there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, folks, notice these are disciples. This is not just the crowd. It doesn't say Jesus ruined his crowd and ran his crowd off by speaking about things that they didn't like. It says many of his disciples turned around. Many of his followers, people that had been committed to him and followed him for some period of time, some from the beginning. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus to the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He realized, even though he didn't understand it, even though he couldn't make sense of what Jesus was talking about, he knew who he was. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. They accepted the fact that they were convinced of who Jesus was, and so they're not going to let anything turn them around. Not going to let anything run them off. You know, there are some times where God will try to run you off just to see if you'll go. The prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, he said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you 
give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now Paul is not saying that he's praying for the church to be able to understand the letters that he's writing. He's talking about the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. That the implication certainly is without that wisdom or that revelation, there are going to be a lot of things about who we are and what God has made us to do and what he's equipped us with that we're going to miss out on. Now, again, that seems like a hard thing to some people because they're looking for the new birth experience once we get saved to be the end of all things. They're looking for that to be the place where all of a sudden we know what the Bible means. All of a sudden we know what God's plan and purpose is for us. But God still expects us to search. There's still a finding to the word of God. There are two experiences that... uh, stand out in my mind experiences that I had personally. Both of them had to do with a place in ministry, one with the church and one while I was working with Brother Hagen. In uh, the summer of 1982, I was working with Dad Hagen, and we had, um, we're just about to start our summer crusade campaign. And what that means is that during the summer months primarily, other weeks were scattered through the year where we'd go out on, on the, uh, the road for uh, meetings, hold meetings in neutral places, meeting halls, convention centers, and so forth. But we were getting ready to go on the, uh, the trip uh, in the summer of 1982. And it was going to be a long trip. We were going to be circling, going to different places. And um, it, it turned out to be something where we almost made a circle around the U.S. And so... Um, Most of that summer, I was going to be spending in the bus. The bus was the primary mode of our transportation. There was a truck that went along with materials and stuff that we set up for uh, book tables and things during the meeting. And just before we went, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, seek my face. Seek my face. How do you do that? What does that mean? I knew David had said that. David said, I'll seek your face early in the morning while you can be found. So I knew it was a uh, a biblical phrase, but I didn't know what God was wanting me to do. Now, there's no such thing as cell phones or iPods or anything like that. And so armed with my Bible and a Strong's Concordance, this will date you. How many of you know what a Strong's Concordance is? I don't mean the application. I mean the book. Well, that's a huge book. It's a five-pound book if it's an ounce. And so not knowing anything else, I just started with the word seek. I looked up in the concordance every scripture that has the word seek in it. Now, you may not know this, but there are 244 verses that contain the word seek. Well, actually, it's 233 verses. There are 11 Places where the word seek is in a verse twice. I went through all of those 233 verses. All of those 244 definitions of the word seek. Every day. It was that important to me. I was that sure about what God had told me to do. 
And so I would read through it, and it would take me forever. Sometimes I'd get to it in the morning, depending on what the schedule was, and other times I'd have to do it late at night before I went to bed. There were a couple of times where I forgot to do it, and then you get to the end of the day, and then I remembered that I forgot to do it, so here we go. I stayed up till all hours on many occasions going through these scriptures that have the word seek in it. Because I'm still trying to find out what does God want me to do. I'm not thinking that I'm seeking him. I'm thinking that I'm looking for how to seek him. Well, knowing what I know now, I'd have to chalk up that effort to a bad job. But we had gotten back from the, uh, the Crusades and the school term had started, just had started a week or two before. And so it's, it's early fall, early to mid-September, I guess. And I was walking up the stairs to, toward my office. And halfway up those stairs, the Holy Ghost spoke a verse of Scripture to me. He spoke Hebrews eleven six, And as clear as day, just as clear as could be. He spoke those script, that scripture to me. It says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now that's a verse of scripture I've been reading as a part of the list every day. But when the Lord spoke that to me, they that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There was something quickened on the inside of me concerning the reward. They that seek him must believe, or they must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, I know I'd been diligent. Whether it was doing any good or not, I'd certainly been diligent with all those scriptures. And so the Lord quickened the reward to me. And I said out loud, I'm by myself in the middle of the stairway, going upstairs. And I said, thank you, Lord, for a reward. The reason that he quickened it to me was to remind me or let me know that in his eyes, I had sought after him as much as I knew how. And he quickened that there was a reward coming for it. Well, it wasn't two weeks later I got a raise that more than doubled my salary. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't get the raise because I said something or quoted a scripture. I deserved the raise. But I think a lot of times God will show us things to come like that so that he can get us to hook up with him and what he wants to do. Now, folks, I love Brother Hagen. I love their ministry. I love every moment that I ever spent there. But those folks were cheap. Brother Hagen had come up through the Depression, and he could not get out of his mind that, that those days of having nothing were just around the corner. And so the, reason, the only reason I'm telling you that, I'm not criticizing them. They would admit that what I'm saying is true and laugh about it with me, I guess. But the raise that I got was unheard of. I had people from accounting, people that had something to do with the payroll, 
They came and talked to me about it and asked me, how'd you get that kind of race? I told them I didn't do anything. I didn't have anything to do with it. But I will never forget that quickening word of the Lord. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus said, their spirit and their life. Now, there used to be a teaching back in the 80s, mid-80s, I guess. There used to be a teaching concerning the words that are translated word in the New Testament. There are two primary words that are used. One is logos and the other is rhema. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the word logos, talking about Jesus. The scripture that I quoted to you in John six sixty three, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. That's the word rhema. And so as the teaching went, they were, the people that were focusing on this would say that the written word is the logos. But the spoken word is rhema. And I've heard people say that if you don't have a rhema word from God, I'm so glad we don't have those phrases anymore. But if you don't have a rhema word from God, it's not really taking hold of you or taking root in your spirit. Well, folks, that's just not true. That's just not true. You can't determine whether the Holy Ghost quickens something to you or not. You don't determine that. The Holy Ghost manifests himself as he wills, not as you will. But right on the other hand, those times where he does quicken the word to you, it's like you see a scripture for the first time ever. Second time, or second experience I want to remind you of here. We had started the church in January of 1986 and it was about 1993 maybe 94 that at the beginning of the year the Lord challenged me just an inward witness but the Lord challenged me to believe God for the church finances for that year and I understood that he was leading me to claiming a specific amount dollar amount to come in for the church well, I'd never done that before. When needs arose or whatever, we had to uh, put our faith on for the need to be met. That was usually the way we worked. And I, I don't have any problem with that. I know some people do that all the time and, and would think that I'm casting aspersions on them that do it. And I, I'm really not. It's just not ever the way that God's dealt with me. It's not anything that I've ever really attempted to do. I'd be remiss to think that I picked a number that was less than what God was willing to do. But anyway, this particular time, the only time the Lord's ever dealt with me about doing it, it's the only time I've ever done it. But I came up with a number. I kind of talked it over with the Lord a little bit rather than just stabbing at something that I really didn't have faith for. And the number was, was significant. It was a significant increase over anything that we had had coming in up to that point in time in the church. So I examined myself. I looked at the number and I asked myself, can I really believe for this? Well, in January, it's easy to believe for money in January. 
You got the whole year ahead of you. So I settled on that number. So I just said, just between me and the Lord, I claim X amount of dollars for this calendar year in Jesus' name. Now, I didn't say it every day, but usually in the mornings when I take my shower, I'll go through different things that I'm believing for or talking to the Lord about things. And so that's what I did with this. Like I said, it wasn't every day, but it's three or four times a week maybe that I would claim that amount of money to come in for the church. Not for me, but for the church benefit and for the church's needs. Well, there were a couple of times during the year that the devil would challenge me on it. He had asked me, you know, how much money's come in? And it seems like we ran behind for that whole year. So much so that we get to the latter part of November, maybe mid to late November. I've only got four to six weeks left on the calendar. And we are a good 30%, almost a third, behind the number that I had believed for or was believing for. Well, the closer the time came, the more the devil would, ha- uh, would nag me about it, challenge me about it, and I'd, I'd hold fast. I'd hold fast my confession. I kept saying it, and there were a couple of times where I thought, now, Lord, did I just pick a bad number? I mean, I know you can't miss it, but I, did I go out further than where my faith was? And folks, that's a real issue. That's something re- people really should consider. Before we just spout off about believing something, we need to identify, do we really have faith for this? And by that, I I really mean, are we going to be able to stand strong on this when it looks like it's not going to work? Nobody gives up on the easy parts. It's where you get challenged. It's where circumstances don't line up with what you're believing for. That's the point that makes or breaks it. So, I just kept on. The Lord didn't say anything to me, so when the Lord doesn't tell me to do something different, I keep doing what I've been doing all along, which is good practical advice for everybody. God's smart enough. He's intelligent. I'm intelligent. He's smart enough to get his plans and purposes over to me, and if he doesn't tell me anything, that means there's nothing to change. So, toward the end of November... Here I am in the shower every morning, and I'm not making my confession with a real strength of purpose. I'm making my confession because I refuse to turn loose. And every time I'd say it, the devil would laugh. So I'd say it again. Well, you get to a point where you just can't take that long a shower anymore. So there were a lot of times... The devil got the last word. He's laughing about my confession. Next couple of weeks go by. Now it's about mid-December. And nothing has changed. We're still about 30% behind down to the last couple of weeks. But one day, right in the middle of December, I got in the shower. And before I started making my confession, the Holy Spirit spoke. Mark eleven twenty three 23 to me. Now, folks, you know me. 
I started this church off by preaching on Mark 11, 23. How many thousands of times have I read this verse or quoted this verse of Scripture? It's been a lot more to up till now than it certainly was back then. But it was still thousands, thousands of times where I'd preach on that verse or claim that verse for myself or, or something, use it in some way or another. But when the Holy Ghost said something, when he, and he didn't add anything to the Scripture, he didn't take away anything, he simply quoted, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And as soon as he finished quoting that verse of Scripture to me, I immediately knew what the purpose was. It was a reminder. It was a quickening moment to remind me that I've been saying this since the first of the year. It's either true or it's not true. It's either going to work or it doesn't work. Because I have done what the Bible says that I'm supposed to do. And that strengthened me more than I can ever uh, explain. All of a sudden now, I know. I know. There's not more information that's come than than I had before I stepped into the shower that morning. But I know that the last two weeks of the year are going to bring in that 30% left to the number that I've been confessing. Well, folks, it went down to the wire. It went absolutely down to the wire. Because on December the 31st, during those last two weeks, there were two checks, biggest checks the church ever got. And the last one came on December the 31st. And it put us exactly at the number that I had claimed. Exactly at the number. Now, folks, I wish I could duplicate that. I wish I could just stand up here and say, okay, that works, so now let's claim this number. But I don't have any inspiration from the Holy Ghost to do it. I didn't do it the first time because I just wanted to do it. I did it because I was impressed by the Lord to do it. Folks, when Jesus said the words that I speak unto you are their spirit and their life, That means so much more than we think it does, no matter what we think. There's always so much more to the Word. It's alive. The Word is full of life and power. Hebrews 4.12 in the King James says the Word of God is quick and powerful. Another translation says full of life and power. Now turn with me over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 caught my attention when I was in Bible school. And there are things in this verse. Well, it's, I don't know how to say it any other way. It's like these verses of Scripture are old friends. I don't spend a lot of time on them. But they're always there and they always have the same impact on me. Luke 24 is the, the story of uh, the resurrection of Jesus Earlier in the chapter, it talks about they went to the, talking about Peter and John, how that they went to the tomb and found it empty. And Luke's account, Luke's version says that there were two angels that were there that gave them instruction and told them about Jesus being risen. But I want to pick up the story in verse 13. 
And behold, two of them went that same day. Two of the disciples doesn't tell us who they were. Two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things that had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Notice verse 16. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Now, I don't know the reason for this. We can read through the story and see the the results of what took place. But I don't understand why Jesus had to or felt the need to keep their eyes closed to the reality of who he was. Maybe I'm inclined to believe that it's because since they didn't know him, the emphasis was on his word and not him. And Jesus always points us to the word. The Holy Ghost will always direct us to the word. But nevertheless, it says their eyes were holding. Here's a specific work from God to keep them from recognizing who he is. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? He said, what are you talking about? What's made you guys so sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast thou not known these things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. I want you to notice the attitude of the disciples, these two. They're thinking redemption has been lost because Jesus died. They didn't realize that his death was the act of redemption. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. They're talking to Jesus about Jesus. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Notice verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't we like to have a recording of that teaching? He doesn't reveal himself. He points them to the word. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Notice that phrase. Their eyes were opened. Where it said before their eyes had been held or were holding. It means their eyes were shut to the spiritual realities around them. But here Jesus opens their eyes. You think that's anything like what Paul's praying for the church at Ephesus maybe? That God would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. 
that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. Paul doesn't pray God will give us more. He prays that God will open our eyes to see it. So much of the church is looking for something they think they don't have. When in reality, they just need to see what they do have. And he opened their eyes, or their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sights. I love verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? That's the impact the word of God ought to have to us when we see the truth. When we receive that spirit of wisdom and revelation that Paul prayed in Ephesians. That's exactly what takes place when the Holy Ghost will speak a word to our hearts. That's always been the impact it's had on me. There have been times where the Lord would wake me up just first thing in the morning, that place between awake and asleep. And he'd speak a word or speak part of a scripture to me. And it's like my heart just burned. Not in a bad way. But the revelation of God's word is full of life and power. So they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened us to, unto us the scriptures? Tells about how they went into Jerusalem, went back to Jerusalem. Verse 36, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and, some, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, it's me. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. Jesus didn't say flesh and blood, he said flesh and bones. His blood's been offered in the heavenly holy of holies. And when he had thus spoken, he showed unto them his hands and his feet and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Folks, there's a place of having your eyes opened. There's a place of understanding. Now, that place of understanding is something that we gain through searching and seeking for the truth or seeking for wisdom. Proverbs says that wisdom rests in the heart of the man that has understanding. So understanding is of the soul where wisdom is of the spirit, the heart. Wisdom rests in the heart of the man that has understanding. You dig in for the word of God, be a doer of the word, and understanding will come. And so there's an element of understanding that we can gain just by study of the word. 
But then there's a place where God opens your eyes. And it's not understanding of you. It's not understanding of yourself because you've studied, because you've been diligent, which we should do, which we should apply ourselves to the Word of God. But that's not the kind of understanding that this is talking about. It's talking about the understanding that God opens your eyes even further than they may be open now. To see more, to understand more, to realize more. When the Holy Spirit spoke Mark eleven twenty three to me about the money, he knew I knew Mark eleven twenty three. He knew I knew how it worked. That's the reason why I've been saying and confessing the money coming in for the whole year. But then there's a work that God can do. I don't think, now when I get to heaven I may be corrected on this, but I don't think there's ever any limit to the understanding we can receive out of even one scripture. See, the understanding I received by the Lord speaking those, Mark eleven twenty three 23, to me so many years ago, there's more understanding about that verse that's still yet to be seen, for me at least. You may have it all figured out. But the Word of God never stops being quick and powerful. It's never devoid of power no matter how much we've seen or how much the Lord has shown us. There's always more because it's a living Word. It's not a matter of memorizing Scripture. It's a matter of your eyes, your spirit being opened and seeing the truth. I wish I could tell you that I found a, a, a foolproof way and method to make this work. But the best advice I can give you is to seek the Word of God like it's buried treasure. And then let the Holy Ghost do the work. Turn with me, I'll finish with this. Turn with me over to Isaiah 54. This is something that the Lord quickened to me just here a couple of days ago. Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God. And to get the context of what, uh, what I want to end up with, let's start in verse 14. Isaiah 54, verse 14. It says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Now the word established means to stand upright. But it carries with it the, the connotation or the understanding, the meaning. Not just standing still, but firmly fixed. Having a foundation under you. And notice that foundation is righteousness. Having that foundation under you so that you're not moved. You can't be moved. In righteousness thou shalt be established. Paul spends a lot of time especially with the letter he wrote to the Romans. Thank God Paul never went to Rome to start the churches like he wanted to. Because if he had, there would have been a lot of the things that are written in the letter to the Romans that he would have covered personally. And we wouldn't have record of some of the things that he taught. 
but because he had not been to Rome, because he had not preached to them, he had to make sure that the letter that he sent to them was foundational and so foundational so that they wouldn't be lacking in anything. See, when he writes back to the Thessalonians or the Corinthians or any of the other churches, we don't have the details about so many of the doctrines that he explains in his letter to the Romans. And the reason for that is because he doesn't have to go over it again. He taught them well. He taught them the truth. He, he established them in the truth. But because he hadn't been to Rome, he couldn't leave anything undone. He couldn't assume that they knew something from whoever got them saved. The people that were pastoring the home churches in the city of Rome, I'm sure they were good people, but that doesn't mean that they had the revelation that Paul had. And so Paul spends a lot of time talking about righteousness. Now, when we think about Paul's background, the learning that we know that he had, he had all the training that the high priest would have. And that training included memorizing the law and the prophets. What we know of of the Old Testament, Paul had memorized. That doesn't seem possible to me. I've never undertook a real effort to, to memorize Scripture and things like that. Scriptures that just become real to me, that I just have them. But the tedious nature of memorizing the Old Testament... That just baffles me. But that's what these guys did. That's what the training of the high priest did. That's what set them apart. Well, Paul knows all of the prophecies in the Old Testament, all the things that were said in the Old Testament about righteousness. And he knew that under the law of Moses, there's no way to be righteous. He knew that there was righteousness that was imputed to Israel. And what that means is God gave him credit for righteousness because of the animal sacrifices in the day of atonement and different things like that. But still righteousness was so far removed from the realm of possibility before Jesus was crucified and risen. There's no way. So when Paul talks to the Romans about the conflict between his flesh and his spirit, he recognizes that even though righteousness was the thing that was imparted to us, the thing that made us born again, made us new creatures in Christ Jesus, he still recognized that he had the same problem as before. He can't keep the, the, the new covenant commandment any better than he could keep the old covenant commandment. And so when Paul comes to the place where he shares with us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, about there being no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, that's huge. It's huge. It's the answer for everything mankind had been looking for since the beginning of, well, since the fall in, in the Garden of Eden. There's never been a man other than Jesus on the earth that wasn't aware of how far, far short they fell from the God that they were drawn to. So when Paul talks about not being any condemnation, there being no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Folks, he's not just saying, I found out the key. The key is we've been made righteous. Well, duh. 
That hadn't helped him up to this point. But when his eyes were opened to the truth, that's when things began falling in place. That's when he came to the understanding that being righteous, being made righteous, just as the Old Testament says was of God, had nothing to do with you. You didn't get yourself into righteousness other than accepting Jesus. You can't get yourself out of righteousness other than rejecting Jesus. Now, some people get hung up on that, and they talk about Hebrews chapter 6. What about the, the things about Hebrews chapter 6 if somebody falls away? Folks, most Christians never mature to the place where they can fall away. And I mean that in all sincerity. It talks about a list of handling the, the things of God and growing and developing in the things of God and handling the power of God. Those are things that most Christians never even attain to. So these are scriptures that Paul knows. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Notice what that being established, having a firm foundation based on who we now are in Christ Jesus. Notice what that does. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, far from terror, for it shall not come nigh thee. Skip down with me to verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. The context of what Isaiah is saying is because righteousness is the foundation for who we are. Now, it wasn't the foundation for who they were. He's prophesying something that can only be available through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the work of the Messiah. But this is God talking about what the plan of redemption will provide. And notice what it says. It says to the person that's established in righteousness. Now, folks, you should be established in righteousness to be able to stand strong no matter what the circumstance or situation is. That's the place where we all should be. It's the place where we all literally are. But through lack of knowledge on some people's part or a failure to, to accept the truth on maybe other people's part, there's a lot of people that are righteous that aren't established in it. Everybody that's ever come to Jesus and made him their Lord and Savior have been made righteous, and they have the right to be established in that righteousness. But that's one of those things if you don't dig for, you won't know. But look at what that established in righteousness, that foundation of righteousness is supposed to provide for us. No weapon. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Folks, that means sickness and disease won't prosper in its work if we know who we are in Christ. That means no financial attack or disaster can take you under if you know who you are in Christ. No circumstance, no situation that the enemy can bring, none of the things that he threatens you with can take you under or take you down if you know who you are in God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment thou shalt condemn. Folks, that means even your tongue if necessary. Just like the Bible talks about good seed being put in the ground, if you don't leave it alone, if you don't take care of it, 
it won't produce. I think a lot of people dig up good seed because they get discouraged or frightened or whatever. But folks, if you can dig up good seed, you can dig up bad seed. So if you need to dig up bad seed, if your tongue is planted the wrong kind of seed, you can dig that up and remove it. So where it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn, sometimes that may mean you need to condemn your own tongue and get back on the right track. Thank God for the mercy of God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now, we're not servants. The Bible talks about Israel under the old covenant being servants. But it says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Now we're children of God. So if this is the heritage, this place of protection, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. If this heritage belongs to the servants, how much more should it belong to us as children? No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants and the sons of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Folks, I can just imagine where Paul is is talking to the Lord, praying, searching, trying to discover the answer, the key, the way to live a righteous and holy life even though his flesh wants to go the wrong way. I can just imagine the impact on him when he realizes that when God says my right, their righteous, our righteousness is of him, what that really means. See, Paul couldn't say in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus if he didn't understand that our righteousness is of God. Because if our righteousness is not of God and only of God, then there would be condemnation for you and me for messing up. But God knew what it would take. He knew it would take a recreated human spirit that was solely of him. Boy, we start seeing some things like that quicken to our our hearts our eyes, spiritual eyes being open to things like that. The world wouldn't be able to contain the church. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the Holy Ghost. Jesus, thank you for going to the Father so you could send the comforter to us, the helper who brings all things that you said to our remembrance who reveals all the things that are of you made available for us, who shows us things to come. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for quickening the word of God to our hearts. Thank you, Father, for the secret place of the Lord, that secret place where we can dwell and abide with you in complete protection, in total victory, And with an absolute understanding that we have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And nothing can ever change that. We love you, Father. Holy Spirit, we give you free reigning course. 
to reveal the truth, to open our spiritual eyes that we might see and know who we are and what we have because of our Lord Jesus' sacrifice. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.